Enjoy. Initiate countdown. One. Two. Three. Hey, are you all set now? I think so. Okay. I've never done this before. And I can so barely see myself. I just feel like I'm very, um, let me lower this camera. Yeah, I'm having to adjust my camera um, at the moment as well. <laughs> oh God, my forehead really should not be in that close. <laughs> oh. Let's see. I look like a normal human now, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think you're, I think you're good. All right. Oh, and good. I actually charged my phone, so this won't die while I'm like, talking to you. <laughs> well, thank you for for joining us. I, um, you know, and thank you for uh, sorting through the technical difficulty. So, you know, um, tell let people know like who you are, how you uh, want to be called, and so forth, and and whatever. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, in an ideal world, I would have had like a very like chill afternoon where I like prepared a lot of things but of course given the work I do which I'll explain in a minute it was a hectic afternoon so I'm just like barreling into this meeting from like meeting sure. patients um, <laughs> but what I'll say in introducing myself is I'm Dr. C uh, I'm a licensed psychologist in the United States um, and I work with clients from a whole host of backgrounds but my uh, area of great passion is working with the queer community especially uh, gay men, and in particular, uh, men who identify as part of the broader kink community um, is something I care deeply about. And um, I think that summarizes me very broadly. I do have a day job um, working with an academic medical center, um, but in order for my own privacy and for the privacy of any patients connected with me, I'm going to keep that pretty quiet. But sure. um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's who I am in a nutshell, and um, as I said, I didn't prepare that much, so I'm really waiting for you to take the lead in terms of what you want me to talk yeah. about and what I can possibly share. Today. Well, um, um, I'll be completely honest in that I um, have had a similar busy week, and so I have not prepared that much, and so we are going to just have <laughs> a true conversation and see where we land. Um, totally fine. Now, I figure it would be great to start off with um, some background about like your leather journey and like your leather identity and like how did you first identify yourself or discover leather and then start identifying yourself within that subculture? Um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that journey that you've been on? The journey. Well, it's in progress, but I think yeah. it's in progress for many of us. Yes. Um, yes. I think it's really hard to identify like a trigger point or a beginning point for, for anybody um, like in a community like this one. And for me, at least, it's, it, that, it's difficult to say like, this is the origin, you know, like this is where the road begins. Right. I do think for myself, um, it started when I was probably in middle school. I, mm. I actually, it's funny you asked this question. I'm having like a flashback memory to be like, oh, what I remember finding kind of attractive. Um, did you ever watch the really corny show? Um, I don't know, you're, you're like around my age. So like it was on like the WB, it was Seventh Heaven. Did you ever see that show? Yes, I did, yes. 
So. Yeah, I, I had to endure that show actually as a kid because my mom thought it was really wholesome and she liked it. And I was like, Yeah, my mom too. Really cool. Yeah, I was kind of forced to watch it at times. So, um, but I yeah. recall um, being fairly young, I guess it was in like sixth, seventh grade, and their son in that show, Simon, wears like a really great leather jacket. And I remember like every time it would come on and he would wear it, I was like, Oh, I'll keep watching the show with you, mom. Um, and, you know, you know, it's one of those things that like implants itself in your brain. And then yes. I remember I would see guys that kind of looked like him or wearing the same kind of jacket type and saying like, oh, like I'll double take that in the streets. And when you're like in seventh grade, you don't know what that necessarily means because other people are coming out by saying like, I like girls, especially when they're guys. And you're like, yes. oh, maybe I just want to be like that person, mm. right? Mm. But that just, that, that must be what that is. And so, you know, I always joke that, that the language for coming out as gay preceded very long in advance the, the language for coming out in terms of being associated with anything kink mm -hmm. and i think that's really um describes my own journey so like the coming out process is gay like had to take precedence especially like in high school and college and then it really wasn't until i was like out of college that i was able to um really understand what it was that was triggering my intense sexual reactions and my interests and realizing it, it's this deeper community within like a sub community within the, the queer gay community it's yes. like oh so it's like it's like journeying to what you think is the bottom of not the barrel that sounds like a negative connotation but going to like the the bottom of what you think is there and also there's a trap door and you're like whoa there's a pun intended there's a dungeon down here <laughs> um and going even deeper and saying like wow like there's this whole element of what describes my sexuality that isn't captured by yeah you know the movie that I think got really popular like when I was in college of like you know gay marriage and like let's all just think gays are just like all of us when in fact like you know kink is probably by nature not um central it's it's, it's, it's on the margins by by its very nature almost you know mm. and to mainstream that would almost be a disservice to the community so um, yeah I mean I, thank you for that that story I feel like when you were talking about your your experience with Seventh Heaven, the <laughs> a memory of mine came up of like, I remember as like, you know, being a toddler, like three years old, four years old, I was obsessed with He-Man. Oh, Did yeah. He-Man. I, I, I didn't watch, but I know it. Yeah. Okay. So, I, you know, I watched He-Man like every day and then Thundercats. And for people that don't know, these are cartoons that really focus on like, really super muscular men that are probably like on steroids that, you know, they're cartoons, but like really built muscular men in very little clothing. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think as a kid, like that's what I was exposed to. And as an adult, that's what I want. So I think that there's some like, you know, connection there um, that I can't help but find humorous. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. And it's so interesting how these things pop up in childhood and they sort of like plant these long-term seeds in your life that you never forget even when you're, you know, much older as an adult. It's like you'll never forget where that came from, you know. Right, right. And going to your, your um, the comment that you made about essentially like your gayness wasn't explaining all the variants in, you know, your feelings and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. That there's other like possible predictor variables uh, there. I, I mean, I, I 
came through a similar track. Um, and I feel like I still go through these tracks of like, I feel like I understand myself. Like, I feel like, you know, as a teenager, I thought, oh, the only thing that made me different was the gay aspect. Yeah. And that was before I realized like kink, but I, I, Early on, like I, you know, was engaged in very kinky behavior that mm. most gay men that I knew were not engaging in that behavior when they were 18, 19 and so on. And um, for me, that was always a point of curiosity. Like that's something I needed. I needed that kind of, I don't know how, how to describe it, but this kind of like darker, edge that I was able to connect with myself more than I felt like mm. most of the time where I went to mainstream gay places, I often felt, and I still sometimes feel like a bit of sadness because I feel like I don't connect with mainstream culture. I find myself overwhelmed by the sounds and like, you know, it's just too much. Like it's overwhelmed. Mm. Whereas I feel like in gay leather culture, my senses are not in overload. They are, um, everything's complemented well. Like I don't find myself, like if I go to the Eagle versus if I go to like a really loud place that, you know, is blasting music and there's a lot of dancing like you, you get I get two different experiences yeah not to therapize so, you but that sounds really <laughs> isolating to like go to a queer space and feel um sure know, overwhelmed and, and, it could and, feel that way and it has been really welcoming for me over the years like I would say in, in my mid-20s was when I first started going to leather spaces okay and realizing the difference of how I felt in those spaces versus like traditional mainstream spaces. Yeah. And then and realizing that there's actually like a leather culture and understanding uh, basically being the expansiveness of how sex can be so creative and so mm. playful in yeah. the leather space. Whereas I feel like in mainstream space, that's not necessarily the context it's put in. Um, yeah. You're making me think about like um, in many ways in which heteronormativity kind of bridges into queer culture, even if we don't mean for it to. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's funny actually. It's just you know, it's, it's actually it's November second, so it's already like this time of year where the holidays come up, and there's those horrible Hallmark movies that go on. You know. Like, yes. <laughs> there's some channel that like I'll pull it on the TV, and it's just like endlessly. But you know, that's a place where, like, for example, like it was a big deal. I think it was either last year or two years ago, where like the guy from Mean Girls like did the first like gay uh, mm. Hallmark movie. Yeah, yeah. And you know, on the one hand, it was kind of heartwarming. Like I, I may be part of this community, but I do love the heartwarming shit from the holidays. Like, I'm not gonna lie. And I remember like hearing from like my family, like, don't you love that? Isn't that so great? And on the one hand, I'm like, okay. But it also is like an example of like the way in which like heteronormativity kind of spreads into like gay culture. And there's a need it feels to adapt into that broader narrative, um, which, you know, ultimately can be reductive into like get married and right. conform to capitalism.
orgasm and have baby now. Um, you know, and you can get surrogates because you're you're gay, but like have baby, um, and get the dog and the the, the picket fence and all that stuff. And um, where was I going with all this? Something about uh. So like in the in the, le in the leather community. Yeah. Let's con contrast that with the leather community. Is that where you're going? Well, yeah, yeah, and also like if we contrast it, like sex becomes like this like act of creativity i think is you're, you're mm. getting at rather than just yes. sort of like this thing that happens that we don't question its role and i love in kink and in this culture the centrality of pleasure and joy and fun and happiness in the way we experience sex yes you know um i have a very distinct memory at a younger age and i'm so glad i did this of being with uh, a partner and they were terrified to engage in gay sex acts sure. and i said look let me just like level with you please don't do anything to impress me or do something that you think I like because you're nervous. Please, please, let's just have fun exploring our bodies together. Yeah. Because that's, if we're not having fun and loving this experience, we're wasting our time. Like, right. you're not gonna have fun, I'm not gonna have fun. And I'm so glad I said that. And that's been really like a, a mantra in my experience of sexuality. It's like, let's make sure we have fun in this experience. And I love the centrality to that in both the act of sex and the expression of that sexuality and the creativity around that. Yes, yeah, I think that that's so crucial. And I've been, you know, you probably can add to this, um, but I've been like re reflecting on how <laughs> the AIDS crisis has like really impacted our community <sighs> because I feel like our generation, at least the like I remember dating guys when I was 18, 19, so forth. There, there was a lot of worry about sex. And I felt like I dated guys that thought that like AIDS was just gonna pop out in the air. Like they didn't understand oh, like consequences of like, well, no, like someone actually has to have the disease and have a viral load that they, you know, yeah. they can pass on. But I felt like there was so much anxiety around sex and mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people in my generation didn't have proper sex education yeah. to combat those yeah. anxieties and so they just like went really intense and I wonder now in comparison to like Gen Z where they basically have had access to prep during their sexual yes. you know the the beginning years of their um uh, sexual life, like, I want to say they probably have a healthier uh, relationship with sex, but like, what's your, what's your take on like this? I, I have, like, there are two things, I don't know if I have any authority to say like my take, like, this is what I think, and that's it. But I, I do have two thoughts that came up. One was somewhere I read in some book that was like, there's a really negative stereotype, or cultural narrative that came around in the gay community because of AIDS. And it goes something like this. In the 60s and the 70s, we became liberated, and then we got punished for being too sexually promiscuous with right. AIDS, even though that is totally a heteronormative religious propaganda narrative, but it's internalized. Yeah. Then the 90s, we kind of like were recovering, and then we said, no, let's like refocus away from sex onto like normal things and good Christian moral things like gay marriage. And you know, there was this narrative in the mid 2000s of like we're being persecuted by like George W. Bush and all that stuff, right. because frankly, we were like, let's be honest, like that's ridiculous that, that was happening. Yes. But you know, how did we go from 2005, like with the proposed amendment against gay marriage in the constitution to 2015, we have this like wonderful Supreme Court decision. Well, we're just like you. And 
you know, we don't have to talk about sex. We can just like kiss and hold hands and, you know, take, take me home to your mom. And she never has to ask about the things we do when the door closes, which that was one thing that came out of my mind. Like this grand cultural narrative, it's really stayed with us till today, 2023. Right. And to your point about like generational divides, there's this weird way in which I actually feel like millennials, as gay millennials, were kind of like the um, transition generation between Gen X to Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Because Gen X would have been, I think, and the boomers too, would have been very affected as gay in the gay community yes. by, by AIDS and HIV. Yeah. Um, and when I was a child, that still was with me. And it was so people that we could see and touch and, and communicate with who were yeah. suffering very seriously. And I do not mean to diminish. It's not like we were overreacting to the severity of the right. AIDS crisis and HIV. I knew some of these folks. My my own mother like had a very dear friend die because of this illness, a, a gay man, and it stuck with her. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming out and her terror around what would happen to me. And that was right. very rooted in reality. It wasn't yeah. like a you're overreacting. It was like, look, my best friend who used to go with me, who took her to the Phantom of the Opera in the eighties, he died. Like mm-hmm. that was real. But where that transition where like now in our late twenties, early thirties, we see Gen Z and they're like yeah, that's something we read about in the textbooks, and that's just not really something that's lived for me. I have PrEP. And there mm-hmm. are even a few cases, my understanding is that like HIV can actually be removed. From, like there's a few right. cases where HIV is actually gone from the system. Yeah, That's so different from what was essentially a death sentence only, what, 30 years ago, even 20 years ago. Right, which like really, I feel like that really messed me up and it's taken me so many years to like mm-hmm. realize that. But to, to basically, any time I would be in a sexual act, I would be thinking about death, and I would be thinking about AIDS, right? And like, how, you know, and, and then you think about, well, before AIDS, like, people didn't have this connotation, this connection, and how freeing that must have been, you know, like, how nice not to have to worry about, you know, an epidemic, for instance. Um, mm. Yeah. So I do think that there is some trauma there that is inherited um, that makes Gen Z a little bit different, I want to say, because they haven't really lived in that world. Um, and I find that they're a little bit more sexually active in some ways than people in my generation were on average. I think they're, they're definitely safer in the way mm-hmm. they're sexually exploratory. Like, let's mm-hmm. be fair, like, there's so much psychological research. Like, if you, if you go to Google Scholar and you Google, like, risky behaviors, gay men, it's like, welcome to the encyclopedia of horror and death. And there's just so <laughs> much research and, frankly, grant funding out there in the field to endlessly study substance use and like unprotected sex and men who have sex with men, which is really this like label that was created because men would be like, well, no, I'm not gay, but I have sex with other guys. So they were like, okay, but that's because of stigma around the identity. And you know, there's such a prevalence in the community of like really, really risky sexual behaviors. And what I find so joyous about Gen Z sometimes is the openness with which sex is discussed and explored. Like, I love there's this show on Netflix, Sex Education. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's great. It's so, so good yeah. because like, it is so 
wonderful at blending the seriousness that comes with sex. You know, there's like yes. stories of, there's like that instance where she gets, um, that one girl gets masturbated on the bus um, and it's very serious, right. but there's a whimsy to the show too. And the sort of the joy, joyousness and the weirdness of sex and sort of like, yes. that ultimately like the show, I watch it and sometimes I'm like, this doesn't feel like it should be like rated R or something. It feels PG-13 to me, especially because all the characters are like high schoolers. And yet right. the content, when I was in middle school, you would never, ever talk about those things, except totally. maybe in health class, if you were in a liberal state, right? Totally. Not even yeah. conservative state, you're not even gonna get that. Yeah, um, yeah. But. yeah, yeah. and so I feel like in some ways, and maybe that's just because that's made in the UK, like they've come a long <laughs> way about being able to talk about sex mm -hmm. in a very welcoming and inclusive way yeah. that I think America can only strive for at the moment. Um, because I don't know of any American production that's as inclusive as well, that show. I was going to think the only thing that came to my mind, and I actually haven't watched it, so somebody on this might correct me, Euphoria, but that's oh. just like bonkers is what I understand. I have not watched that, and it I've only seen clips, and I'm like, it, it just doesn't seem, like, it just seems really intense. Like, yes. the White Lotus for teenagers is what it seems to me. Well, now I have to watch it because I love White Lotus, so <laughs> you don't, don't give me speeches. Um, yeah, but I, I take your point about these generational divides and the role of sex and really sex positivity, if you can call it that. Um, yeah. So I think, um, where do I want to go with that? Um, go wherever you want. I, I want to change the subject. And I want to somehow get back to where a conversation we had during the summer where um, you had some like interesting takes or, or comments about the intersection of like, or, or the, the compromise of the roles between being a psychologist and being like a master or like a dom. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm pulling up our email exchange, by the way, because I'm remembering vague themes that you're talking about. Um, so let me pull this up so I can recall. And I, I don't know if there's anything in the email exchange um, that we had, but I was wondering if you had any more thoughts on that or where you wanted to go with that i'm looking at i okay this is the comment i wrote in my notes because i actually do take notes sometimes and i'm like on top of things um which doesn't feel that way all i wrote down was this line the parallel process of therapy and play and that okay. made me like the kink um i think yeah, so yeah so like what's popping up for me um, when you said that is, you know, there have been times, and I don't know if we want to go in this deep, but there have been times where, like, I I feel like when I'm in play, I've been given a lot of responsibility. I've been given um, a lot of, you know, a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And in some ways, uh, I feel as though I need to, um, 
and need to respect that responsibility and not abuse that responsibility. Because I feel like there's been times in my life where people in power abused their power. And I recognize the power I've been given. And there's kind of this like moment in play where like, mm-hmm. I'll flash back to a part of my life where someone like abused their power. And I'm like, but I'm not gonna do that. Like I am going to, you know, respect this, this you know, these boundaries these are the boundaries in which I'm operating under. And uh, I feel like that is always a reminder of like the type of person I hope to be and where I'm aiming towards. Yeah. Broadly, you're talking just in your life. Very, very broadly, yes. Yeah. Like if we're, if we're gonna talk about like keywords, like, you know, when someone calls me daddy, you know, like, that's not something I would ever actually say to my father, right? Like, my father right. was a pretty, like, absent person. Oh, yeah. Life. Like, I, I... And, and I feel so grateful when people see me in that role and when yeah. I've been able to verbalize other men and call them daddy and I see them in that more father role and to be well-received because there's this corrective nature that I think can happen during play that kind of it speaks to your inner child, if we're gonna mm-hmm. use that language and says like, it's okay, like things are fine. Well, a big part of what you're talking, not a big part, but yes, a big part, what am I saying? Um, something that we haven't named, I think outright, but I think is important to talk about in any sort of intense kink play um, is we talk about aftercare. I yes. mean, there is a way, I think so often in what our fantasies are, our, our kink expectations are, in which it's a bit cliched and I don't love cliches, but like it's connected to the things that we struggled with as a, at a young age yeah. and those relationships that we're reenacting in these role plays or right. these dynamics. And you get to go and play to a space where you are maybe treated poorly, quote unquote, Mm-hmm. Or maybe you are physically hit consenting. And yet in a good play, in really high quality sexual activity and experiences, there is aftercare. Yes. And the person that you did that with talks to you afterwards and they care for you and they provide yes. sort of a relief from those high emotions. Um, I'm sure if there are folks listening to this or you are, you know, I, I could think of times where like that didn't happen and it was just a bad experience. Yes. I actually think of like as if Dan Savage says, leave the other person better than you found them. That's totally. critical. Totally. Um, yeah. it, it, if you don't have that, it, it's, it's, you know, going back to what I was saying, you know, earlier, it's not joyous. It's not fun. It's just, oh, that was painful and not in a good way. You don't want Do you that. feel like the play that one can experience in BDSM um, I don't want to say this, can be just as restorative or more restorative than what can result in like traditional talk therapy for some people? Ooh, big question. I know. Um, <laughs> I can never put anything about my profession because we got to keep people coming in the door, okay? <laughs> so like, let's maybe be clear. <laughs> Um, and I'm by no means going to open up an alternative practice that does all this because that's, uh, sure. n- no. I think it is therapeutic. I think for many people, it is 
and it goes back to the creativity around sex, right? Like, do we think of sex as productivity? Somebody in this chat I saw sex as productivity, and I don't know who it was, but thumbs up to that line. Mm. Or do we think of it as an experience of pleasure and, and, and growth and change and joy? And in that sense, that is therapeutic. And I think that mm. it can help us become people who are happier and just more satisfied with our lives. I mean, in that sense, yes, it is yeah. therapeutic. Um, I don't know if it would ever like, not that this is a thing I subscribe to, but like resolve issues, sure. you know, I think, sure. you know, I can have my kinks and you can have yours and I still need to go to therapy to be like, why didn't my father hug me enough when I was five years old and I, whatever, I'm being a little stereotyping here, like, but I've heard those stories and it's true. Right. Like we right. do, I think we do need to verbalize and understand what we go through because actually I think that that process is recursive to get Frank, yes. you know, you're going to probably have better yeah. sex when you can understand the dynamics at play and you can verbalize them rather than just like act solely intuitively, I think. Right, right. And I definitely feel like kink is informed mm -hmm. by your past experience. And so if there are, are things that had happened to you as a child, like, you know, if, it, it's good to recognize that that's yeah. playing a role because I think a lot of guys may not recognize that. And I think once you recognize it, then you have the power of like how you want to engage with that. Yeah. Like, you know, I think that that yes. can open up a really crucial door. Oh, wow. That's a really like <clears throat> your, your reference to the idea of power actually and empowerment, I think is really striking to me. And I, mm. I don't know if I, I actually made that connection, but I agree with it, I think, very, very much. Like, it, it is empowering. Um, because the alternative, I think, to what you're talking about, and, and we, I feel like we all know men like this, there's very emotionally distant sexual experiences and cold sexual interactions yes. that are just very mechanistic. Yeah. You know, just, like, very, like, um, like machinery. Like, yes. just, like, yeah. very, like, functionality. Like, I'm going to, like, get off with you. And you know, like the stereotype of the grinder hookup is like, no, get out. Right. And look, like sometimes people do that, and like that, but like the coldness and the way in which it's not being processed. So like, well, why did we do all those elaborate things? We need to understand that. Right. Why did we? Why did we need to not, not just like have sex, but like have gear, have like toys, have like a, a you know a setup here? Like, it, yes. What drove that? And and if we don't interrogate that, it's not going to be fulfilling in my, my view. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, I feel like that is in my take i feel like i often see that behavior more in like mainstream gay culture rather than yeah. leather culture because i feel like leather culture is a little bit more informed psychologically about I think you're right. these things and i think that's why i tend to seek out other pe people in the leather community when i play because i feel like they're yeah. more intelligent about like what are the things that they are into what are their boundaries and so yeah. forth and i mean i frankly don't believe it when i'm chatting with some guy who's in his early 20s and i ask him you know so what are your boundaries what are into right and he's like i'm into anything and i'm no, like i don't believe that so then i'll be like okay like are you into being fisted no okay then you're not into anything like you, you got to tell me where your lines are and I think a lot of people yeah. don't realize that everyone has, has different things that, that 
that intrigue them or motivate right. them, you know? Right. And, and there's the interrogating of what you're interested in, but also think about what like, could possibly motivate someone to just be like, I'm into anything. Like, obviously, like, there's being young and being like, I just want to, like, have an experience. Yes. Um, but also it's posturing and it's like not wanting to admit the things that we do yes. have boundaries over. Yes. And, um, you know, I, that's a really good point that you make about like general broad mainstream queer culture, I feel like is more of that coldness. I have found most yeah. people I yeah. encounter in the queer kink community um, are not cold. Um, right. I mean, rather, or if they are, frankly, they're probably like they're not so involved in the community and they're a bit more distant looking in, which is a hard place to be. And I'm not saying that that's yeah. like, like to hell with them. I'm saying that's really difficult. But the people in the community rather are artistic, they're intellectuals, they're nerds, so many nerds, by the way. Like, and, you know, I was into Lord of the Rings as a kid and it's like, oh, probably where a lot of those other Lord of the Rings nerds were also into this stuff too. Right. And like the interest and all these different things and and we are people that like i think tend to be very friendly like and really good at navigating the porousness of boundaries around like friendship sex yeah. and just like play right like it's so like i feel like i don't hear as much that's not non-existent but i don't hear as much jealousy and envy within the queer com mm. the queer kink community there's a collaborativeness there's a kind of like understanding the porous nature of relationships yeah. and that you may want to have a play experience with somebody and then that was fine and you don't need to do that again but you can go out for drinks and like hang out and right you know and i think that's also like a positive element of gay culture too like i think this is just yeah. such a, a one-up on heteronormative culture I, you know? I i cannot agree more and going back to a point that you made mm -hmm. um a little bit ago about this like um heteronormativity creeping into mm -hmm. gay culture, I feel like what we lose is that, you know, when people subscribe to the heteronormativity, we're losing yeah. the freedom that we've been given as gay people to do whatever the F we want. And um, <laughs> that is like incredible power that I feel like some people don't even recognize that you know, you, if you have the gay card, it's giving you the ticket to live whatever life that you want. I, like, I, I do think that we, I do think there are, we, I caution against language that we can do whatever the hell we want because, you know, sure, treatment sure. with patients, like, look, boundaries can be crossed within relationships. There is jealousy. Like, it's not like this just does not happen. Right. But I do think we come to the table with no um, heteronormative I'm sorry, expectations, right? No, no expectations. Like that's what I mean. Yeah. And, and so, uh, it, I'm, I'm stealing this, by the way, I should quote Dan Savage again from his most recent I think, episode where he talked about, um, I can't remember the particulars of the story, but basically some gay guy, right, you know, they write in, in his yeah. show, like, dear Dan. And the story was that like a guy was dating, the guy, he had hooked up with a guy mm. and then he hooked up with that guy's roommate and then like kind of actually developed a relationship with the second person like it was like a more serious relationship he was like well am i breaking the bro code right and dan savage went on this like long rant in the episode about like there is no effing bro code like like that's the joy of gay weddings like everybody has probably had sex with the grooms you know like when you go because right. like people understand like it's you know versus like a straight wedding where it's like oh you invited your ex-boyfriend oh right um did you have an affair at the wedding right. it's like whoa we're like in two different worlds here and i think that that's I don't know, that's just something 
that I think that is really wonderful that we can do. We go in with those lack of expectations and the willingness to openly negotiate and like talk bluntly about like, what do you like? What are you into? What do you expect from our interaction? Yes, yes. And I mean, it's so funny that on, you know, any of the apps that you go on, um, you're way, like I'm way more willing to give explicit information about the things I'm into, the things I want done to me. I don't want to talk about my job. I don't want to even say what my name is, right? I don't want to talk about those parts of who I am. I'm going to be talking about these really intimate parts. And I find that that's really interesting in the gay world, that that's, that's like normalized. I mean, like, I find that really efficient, you know, and, and yeah. um, at least that's how I use the apps um, myself, but yeah. But even the apps, like, and going back to like the no expectations thing, it's yeah. funny when I was younger there, you'd always see like, I'm just here to make friends. People were like, that's bullshit. I think that was a bigger thing to say like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. The thing is now actually, I, I have seen it and engaged in like it personally, like, no, I've actually like made a friend through an app and I don't want it to be anything that's like a side play partner or something. It's more like, no, we're in a similar community. We've used this app to connect. You're interesting. I don't think this is going to go anywhere sexually and that's fine. Yeah. Again, I, I, I love the creativity that we bring as a community to these kinds of things. Something just beeped in your background. It I did. My, my oven, I set the temperature, so it got up to the temperature. Ooh, so we've risen the temperature in this room? Is that we, what we're we saying? Are, we, we are. We made it really yes. hot? Okay. Yes. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, as an aside, and you can go with everyone, but I just had to mention this. Um, when we talked over the summer, you would ask a lot of questions about, like, in psychology, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual yes. and, like, kinks. And I am not the expert on that, so I actually have it on the table next to me in case you were to be like, tell me about XYZ. I'll be like, well, and let me tell you. So just want to let you know well, like, this thing is so well, I mean we can even sitting go down that right you can we can go down that route because we don't I, have to I just know, was I, you know it's sitting there I mean my opinion of the DSM maybe is a little bit controversial because I find that most people that you know are are uh, writing the DSM um, are probably not kink conformed they're probably not even gay. Like I have this image of like just a bunch of white, straight, married men, and it's their point of view on the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time. Like the more and more I, I kind of think about it, I have a hard time with a lot of these things that are called disorders. And I feel right. like it should only be a disorder if it's like really disrupting the person's life. But sometimes I feel like that label can really do more harm than just being like, okay, so these are the things, these are the actions or behaviors mm-hmm. that you might need to be more conscious of or, or to adapt or things like that, or to know what triggers you versus, you know, yeah. other things. I don't know, like where, where are your thoughts on um, the DSM and the, pathologization of humans in general. Oh God, um, <laughs> why don't I just take you through my entire doctoral training? It'll take you about six years. Do you have the time? Um, I don't know 
where to begin. So I'm going to try to do this in an organized way because you've opened up like 18 different like chests of just like stuff to go through. And so I'm going to try to like cherry pick the sure. ones. One, the DSM broadly before we get into the details of like all the paraphilic disorders as they call them. Um, it is problematic. And it is problematic, I believe, my, my belief is that at its core, what's problematic about it is that it is categorical, right? It basically mm. categorizes symptoms into clusters and says, if you have clusters A, B, C, D, or like, it's really like, if you have five of these seven, cha-ching, you hit this thing, right? Okay. It's not dimensional. Right. I, so something I, and here's what I mean by that. Um, this gets a little bit into the work I do outside of the queer community and also intersecting with it. Um, I've done a lot of work with people with psychosis, which is a symptom, and schizophrenia. So let's stick with the word schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is something that, um, pull it up in this book somewhere. I don't even need to because I know too much about it. Schizophrenia, you only need like a few symptoms to be checked off before you hit the diagnosis, like you have it. Mm. You have to have these symptoms for like about six months or more, right? Okay. And I had a supervisor who very um, thoughtfully said to me, you know, you, you are going to see five people in a room and they all have the label schizophrenia and they're all going to have different symptoms, right? Because we put so many symptoms in the bucket of schizophrenia, as we call it, yeah. and you, you need very few to get the, num the, the label. It's yeah. like one, two, three, but if there's like seven, eight, nine, ten symptoms I can pick from, you know, I don't know math very well, permutations, combinations, you can get like all these different schizophrenia, right? You have somebody who stares blankly at the wall, you have someone who hears voices, you have somebody who believes that the government is out to get them, you have somebody who is, I don't know, really hyper-religious, right? So categorically, it doesn't make sense. It's not dimensional, right? We should really right. be understanding people's experiences by like understanding, well, what are you experiencing symptom-wise? What's the problem that's leading you to this hospital, to my office or whatever? Mm. And, you know, we really want to understand it from a medical model which is even broader, how do we reduce those symptoms? Rather than just saying like cluster this, this, and this makes you this, cluster this, this, and that, because everything is so transdiagnostic, totally. right? You have elements of schizophrenia that show up in OCD, which show up in autism, which show up in anxiety disorders. And like, you can almost like go through the circle of fits, that's a musical reference, and come back to the original disorder by chaining through all the different diagnoses and symptoms that are part of those sure. diagnoses. Yeah, yeah. Really, so that's the DSM. I have problems with it. I don't love using it, but I do need to use it for um, billing and insurance. Yes. That's why I use it. Because yes. the government and the company that pays me says, you must do this. I'm like, fine. Now, the paraphilic disorders. You raised a point about like, what do they describe our you know, paraphilic disorders as? And there's actually something that they did, and I don't know when they did it. I, I actually don't know the history well enough. Mm. But at least in the last iteration of the DSM, there is very distinct language for every paraphilic disorder that says something to the effect of it has to be just causing you distress or impeding you living your life. Mm. I'm going to try to find it. Um, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's not it. And can you so give here like, we are. some yeah. examples of these um, disorders, like just so that we have the... Yeah, like I'm... I'm I just, I, okay, okay. Literally, this is one called fetish disorder, mm. fetishistic disorder, right? Very broad. But here we go. This is the critical line that they added, and I actually think this is important. The fantasy, sexual urges, or behaviors cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas of functioning. And there's another one, I couldn't find it. I think it's voyeuristic disorder, where it's like the person who you're watching is not consenting to this. Mm. 
right, in any way, shape, or form, which I'll admit, sure, that opens the door to, so is it okay? Like, frankly, like, if somebody came in and said, like, I am a, look, obviously, like, if someone is like, I have a fetish for leather, I'm going to be like, and, right. welcome to the club. Um, but, like, if somebody come in in distress and say, like, I really like watching people and they don't know that I'm watching them, then it's a question of, like, well, where's the consent there, mm-hmm. right? Um, what are you doing when you watch them? What are they doing while you watch them? Can, you know, you know, I'm not going to really go in there and try to like uncouple those connections, but rather is there a way to express this side of yourself in a way that is healthy? There are yeah. plenty of people who engage in that in a consenting way. Right. And that's fine. Um, right. But can you see a pathway to that? Or are you coming into this office and you're just in distress by the mere sheer fact, mm. right? Is it like a, a person raised in a religious household who comes in saying like, well, I'm gay, you gotta change that. Right. It's like, well, no, we're not gonna do that. Maybe we can have a different relationship with this quality of your life, with this right. element of who you are. Yeah. I know, I went on a long rant there, so you can hit the brakes and please tell me where you wanna like go back or bounce around, please. Um, um, I'm just thinking. Uh, you a lot. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Um, it was very fascinating. So I enjoy uh, hearing that all. Um, where do I want to go with that? My therapist line is, this, this is your time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Is something coming to your mind? Like my mind is like uh, a little... I just yeah. bombed it out a lot of my mind. You um, did. Um, I guess like so uh, okay let's talk about this okay Okay. um let's say that someone wanted you know someone in the king community wanted to like access um therapy like i think it's important for a person to be able to show all Mm -hmm. sides of themselves in therapy is there um something that you think a patient or or client, however you you call it, should be looking for to make sure that the person would be kink sensitive? Um, That's a hard question to answer because I I don't know really of any major resources that like direct you to like kinkaffirmingtherapist.com. Wouldn't that be great? Idea for a future idea. Talk to some of my friends. I have one friend it does. you can do it you can i'm do sure it. you know it um so i don't have like a solid life is where you go and obviously i think i said like i'll provide some resources at the end because like there's some websites that you might be able to go to i do think it's hard because i think i i will say this i i trained pretty recently i finished my phd only within the last two years so i have pretty mm-hmm. up-to-date clinical training Right? It's not like yeah. I trained in the 1990s or the 80s and it's like, in my day, the, the Freudian analytical, I don't even know what to answer with all that because I don't think it's true. Right. Uh, sorry for <laughs> the old supervisors I had. Um, I would say like in my modern training, um, these particular like sets of disorders that I was just sort of reading off in the book and would just not be emphasized. Mm-hmm. You know, frankly, my lack of knowledge around this, it's not like I went to the bad program that didn't teach me those. You would probably be very much, you would be hard pressed to find a program that at all emphasizes those. Mm. So that's one thing. You probably wouldn't come at it with a clinical diagnosis problem where the person would be like, yeah. you have a disorder. Okay. I do think 
you would be coming at it from just a simple lack of knowledge um, by the provider, mm. right? And um, stereotypes that exist about sadism, masochism, et cetera, that have been perpetuated, perpetuated through like culture and things like that. Right. I do think, and it is reductive, and I, I worry about always being reductive, but like sometimes seeking out members who self-identify as members of a community um, really um, can at least help it feel like you are safe to talk about these things with the therapist. And frankly, what you can do when you're consulting, any good therapist should consult with you, right? They do that free 15, 20, 30 minute phone call. That's just like, are we a good fit? It might be a really brave thing to do, but like ask them directly, like, look, this is a part of who I am. Mm. And we talk about this. Are you going to be able to handle this? Yeah. Um, and um, I think we all know when somebody is either telling us the truth or bullshitting us if they say yes. yes. Um, at least I like to think my bullshit meter or radar is usually pretty attuned. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, I myself have been in therapy and talked about such things. And, you know, I had a, I had a white woman therapist who I really did adore. Like, I, I'm not knocking her. She was one of the most amazing people. But when we ended near the end of our time together, I did say, like, I couldn't talk about some of these things, really. I kind of touched on these elements near the end. And yeah. She said regularly, I remember she would remind me, like, I'm affirming of all queerness. And I was like, at some point, your lack of lived experience, you know, she, I knew she had a husband. I knew she had a kid and lived in the right. suburbs of the city I was living in at the time. And I was like, look, like, I appreciate your allyship. And I believe in that allyship. I'm not here to say, like, she was lying. But, but I think that I ended up transitioning therapists at that time to somebody who was closer to the community, if not mm. a part of it. And, and honestly, and this is the tricky thing also, you don't always want to know like things about your therapist. Sure. It's not always healthy to know everything. Yeah. So, you know, with my own patients, I share it with very few that I'm even associated with any, what I call subculture of the queer community. That was the mm. word sometimes that I use, subculture. And if they ask directly, I will tell them. But if they don't know what to do with that data, then, you know, I just sort of let it yeah. lie there. Um, do you see primarily, and you, you can decide not to answer this question, um, do you see primarily gay clients? Is that what you're focused it, on? It's, I mean, I sometimes joke that would be like, um, I was going to say the dream, but it's not the dream. What I do see is a lot of men, actually. Okay. I think that is because men tend to reach out to other men because at least in the field of psychology it's an 85 to 90 percent female field yeah. and probably of those women the majority of them are white mm. and the majority of them are upper middle class um mm. which i know is a stereotype and anybody listening who says i'm not that i'm i know you are not i'm not saying that everyone is but the numbers don't lie um i know you do stats so you know the numbers don't lie yeah. Um, and they don't, you know, so men team tend to seek out other men and, and, and not only gay men, like it's, it's gay men and it's straight men. And they tell me pretty vulnerable things pretty quickly. Mm. I will say like, I'm mm. honored to listen to some of the things my men that I work with share with me. Um, and I won't say what they share, but like some of the things they share, I just know they would never share that with a female therapist. They wouldn't share it even with a straight male therapist. I think even being gay to a straight male client, um, Remember I was talking about like breaking heteronormative expectations. Yeah. They love it. Mm. Like I'll say to them like, oh, like they'll, they'll talk about like, oh, I'm dating this woman. And like, I think this is what she expects to happen next. And I'll just be like, that doesn't have to happen. You can just be fuck buddies. And I remember right. having a male straight patient being like, is that allowed? And I was like, 
what do you think is an alternative? And right. it's like, well, I have to keep dating and then I'll get married if I do this long enough. Like, it was almost like, if I keep having sex long enough, we'll get glued to one another in a marriage. And I was like, no. Who's I mean, it doesn't that, have to be like that, but I think that a lot of people operate under that model that that's what's going to happen. And then I think then, I mean, yeah. that's why you had so many people getting married and then 50% getting divorced. Right, because it's almost like you're on a train and then like the train just keeps going. You're like, I, I, I want to get off. Yeah. And you have like, again, I think it's a, I, I think it's a question about or a practice of like having good boundaries because yeah. I feel like yeah. if you can just be like, listen, this is all I want. <laughs> like, you know, we don't need to go any further, but this is just what I'm looking for, you know, but I often feel with straight people, especially, you know, I've, I've sensed this kind of like, well, I need to get married. I need to have kids. And this like push that, that I don't know if it really comes from with, like, it's hard to know whether it's coming from within or right. whether it's like the weight of society um, on them. And, you know, I frankly think that like Disney brainwashes kids <laughs> into like, you know, heteronormativity, at least 90s. Uh, oh, those 90s movies, movies were very toxic. Um, no, yeah. And I actually speak to somebody who loves those movies. Uh, they actually really did raise me. Um, and in, in a totally side defense of Disney, isn't there their like promotion, like heteronormativity, no, no, but like they did give a kid like me hope when I had a pretty unstable parent life. Like, mm. um, you know, they made me feel like this, I could achieve that because, you know, mm. Cinderella goes through a lot to yes. get. To where she is, yeah. she is abused. Um, anyway, yeah. that's yeah. an aside. That's a separate um, story. But, yes. but um, she's now into BDSM. But the, you know, we didn't. We didn't like, get that. Oh, movie, tell but... me to clean everywhere. Yeah, you want me to clean your chimney? Yeah. Mm. I don't know why someone hasn't made that movie, but that's part. I mean, two. there's a guy they... who like takes a shoe all around right. town, and it's just like, which one of you is the right fit for my shoe? It's like, right? Did you just want to see all those feet? And then um, Beauty and the Beast. I mean, like, that's another, you know, so we, we could have this conversation. We can always we'll, do that. Always another conversation yeah. we could have. Um, <laughs> but where do you want to take it? It sounds like you have some thoughts in mind and, and you want to take it. So I, I'm very No, let's let's hear where you were because I kind of forget where we were. I don't um, remember. We can reset. <laughs> um, where were we? Bit of an ADHD moment here. Um. um I'm trying to think. Yeah, again, you're also catching me after a day in the office plus evening patients, and it's right. like, ah, like I give too much. Um, we've covered a lot of ground. I'm realizing, like we've talked about like heteronormativity and kink, and and yeah, I, guess I mean, I guess maybe one last thing um, to talk about, or you know, it's like. Is there anything that you want to say in regards to or conversation around like mental health and like mental health practices that maybe, you know, men or gay men in general should be conscious of, or I don't know. I know that's like a really broad topic, but broad I know topic. that you had mentioned in your messages to me of wanting to talk about mental health. And I feel like we've, you know, tangentially have been there, but is there something directly that you want to say? 
Uh, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is like, if you want, if you need help, please seek it out. And I think to that point, barriers to care and access to care is something I really care a lot about because I meet so many people, I mean, gay men too, um, who are like, I don't know how to find a therapist. I don't know how to do this. Yes. And I don't know how to find one that takes my insurance. Everybody's like a thousand dollars an hour um, right here, whatever it is. Um, and to your point, like, how do I know I'm going to like this person? Um, and I, I do like that there's an increasing movement um, to create websites and search engines that like narrow down therapist by insurance, therapist by identity. And it actually lets you go like, I want a gay man, right? And it, mm -hmm. it can like narrow it down right to that and be like, okay, and I want a gay man that takes like United Healthcare. Bam, we're going to narrow it down to that. So I, I care a lot about that. And I can definitely by the end of this, like share like certain websites and how to look at them. So I care a lot about that. And I think yeah, what I want to say is like, if you are in need of help, like, please seek it out. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the two websites I feel like everyone uses, one is like common, which is psychology today, like everybody looks yeah. on that website. Um, and that's fine. You know, um, it's, it's a fine website. I'm a much bigger fan of another website. Um, and this is a bit of self promotion. So I apologize. But it's called Hello Alma, Hello A-L-M-A dot com. Um, and I really like them because um, it has the capabilities to search the way I was talking about, where you can just say, like, I live in the state of New Jersey, Connecticut, Utah, whatever, and I want a licensed therapist who is a man. I want a licensed therapist who's mm. a gay man. And they'll yeah. be like, well, oh, and I want it to take Aetna or whatever. And they'll say, yeah, here yeah. are the 12 people who fit that bill. There you I go. See. And that mm. narrows it down from when if you go to, like, Psychology Today and you're like, I want a man, it's like, well, here's... 20,000 hits. Yes. And some of those yes. pictures, by the way, are from like 1985. Yes. Another thing I like about that other website, Hello Alma, is you actually like the people on that website pay to be on there. Mm. So if they don't want to be on there, they stop paying and they get taken off, right? It's not like they forget. I see. Um, and I, I say that like basically, if you look me up, you know, I, I'm not on this, I'm not going to share my name, but basically if you go on Hello Alma and you look for gay therapists uh, in the state of New York, I'll say that's an area that I'm located, um, you will see in my picture, oh, that guy's kink affirming. I'm not mm. wearing like a harness or anything like that. Um, but there may or may not be some leather in that photo, which was intended when I chose it to be like a Good. wink, wink. Yes. You want to talk about things that, you know, most people don't feel comfortable about. We're going to yes. do that. And um, so that's something I'm passionate about is, is really like knowing how to navigate those sites yeah. and, and, and also like knowing your healthcare and how it reimburses for, mm -hmm. for, for, for mental health treatment, which is often terrible. And I always encourage people like if their healthcare is like holding them up, like bug them, call yeah. them. I can't tell you how many times like I get um, rejected claims from my own therapist. Yes, I do see a therapist. And literally I will call them and be like, why'd you reject this? And it's like, ah, no idea why we did that. Here's your payment back. And I'm like, yeah, why? Yeah. Why did you it's make so the call? Arbitrary. What yeah. is? Um, anyway, that's just like something. What is your, your your thought on? Um, I can't even think of the the sites at the moment, but I'm sure that you know what I'm talking about. The very popular um, sites in which you can connect with a psychologist over your oh, phone. Oh, like BetterHelp or, or Talk Talkiatry or something. Yeah. Like that. Um, do you do you want to talk a little bit about that because? Because I feel like um, they have great advertising, but I'm not do. quite sure if um, it's a really good product. Uh, um, I feel like 
I'm worried about the actual psychologists that work there because I feel like yeah. from what I hear, yeah. they're like overworked and it's like really a lot. Yeah, my, my blunt response, um, which is um, I don't like them. That's my first one. I definitely do not support text therapy. Um, I don't. Yeah. Because think about like communicating with your, I don't know, your mother or like your friend. How much nuance gets lost in text and in an emoji? Right. I don't want to know how you're feeling through like smiley emojis. Like, you know, how often does like just seeing the period make you think, are you mad at me? Right? There's such a millennial yeah. thing. Like, are you mad at me? You used a period. Like, oh my God. Um, and so, no. Because if someone texts me, I don't want to live anymore. I can't have a conversation over a text to understand the data that would tell me whether right. they're truly at risk or not, or whether I need to be calling like for the ambulance to bring them to the ER. Right. Um, I need to talk to you. I need to see you. If not in person, I need to see like your face and I need to see even your arms, right? I work with some high risk clients. I need to sometimes like check their arms and be like, did you cut again? Um, mm. So I, I don't like that aspect of it. And to your point about being overwhelmed, yeah, I mean, there was some, I think, New York Times article or maybe Washington Post about the therapists who work on these things. Mm -hmm. They talk about unwieldy caseloads, yes. you know, a full yeah. caseload for a quality therapist. Like if you have a good therapist who's like independently practicing and they're good at their job, they're probably seeing anywhere from like 25 to 35 people a week, right? Because it's like mm -hmm. your job, yeah. right? These caseloads were in like, I'm not kidding, like hundreds. Do you think mm. that therapist knows anything about you and your life right. story and like what you need? And don't even get me started. And John Oliver did a thing on this AI responses <laughs> to texting for therapy. Did you see this? Did you I have not this? watched that, but I've heard of it. Oh my God. Yes. I just remember like some kid that he, you know, and he does it in like a kind of dark humor way. Some kid was like, they tested it. It wasn't a real person. They tested it like, I want to kill myself. And it was like cry emoji or something really insipid and I'm just like oh it didn't know what to do like it did yes. not know how to navigate or it was like telling the person like just sleep no <laughs> and like trying to give like, like those horrible positive like toxic positive right. things like just sleep tomorrow's gonna be a better day and you can be the best you possible yeah that's no I mean you not know, a thing. know that that text that information came from like all of those like 90s like Mary Kate and Ashley also movies and like you know, like you know I feel like at least when I was growing up um most of the adults in my life did not want to talk about anything serious and it was those responses were the responses I was given um you know from all the adults yeah. in my life like yeah yeah this is life it will get better, right? But, it, you know, like, I couldn't actually, like, no one actually wants to engage in, in the conversation. That's so alienating. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not saying we dive into, like, every negative, um, depressive right. thought, right? Like, because right. I, I do think there's, like, I have worked with clients who are, you know, one of my biggest training growth areas was having a client come in, and every week she was like, I did nothing this weekend. I'm depressed. Everything is terrible. And finally, one session, I was like, do something. Like, you need to like do something because of course you're depressed. You do nothing. And like, there's a whole area of behavioral activation, they call it, where it's basically like, you don't just lean into what they're saying. You actually like metaphorically kick them in the bum. Um, mm. But 
yeah, to the point of like risk, like I, I, I can't trust an online therapist or um, a text therapist to right. give any quality treatment. You know, all you're going to get are coping skills. And you know what? Coping skills are pretty useless when they kind of just help you survive your structurally really problematic life right. and difficult life. Um, yeah. Another rant. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so we've we've been chatting now for an hour. Um, are there any like last minute thoughts or things that you want to share? Um, I think to summarize um, some of the points that we've talked about, um, I'm going to try to do this at the end of the day with running on fumes of my brain um but help me with this okay i think we should just summarize like the things we talked about which is one you know kink is good and it is, is an avenue for almost a therapeutic experience of sex creativity positive connection and mm -hmm. um health and happiness to use a pretty you know basic word but i think that's an important thing to say and exploring how those things that make you kinky came to be can sometimes make those experiences even more wonderful and better. Yes. Um, yes. That's one thing. Um, if you ever get a therapist that tells you you're messed up for your kinks, uh, don't go to that therapist, please. Um, you can find a better therapist. Um, I'll repeat, psychologytoday.com, good one. Hello, Alma, even better one. You're going to find somebody who is more in line with what you're looking mm. for. Don't feel ashamed mm. to shop around for therapists also, by the way. Right? Totally. And if you're like, I really want to see like a man who's black um, and people are like, you don't need to find that, you know, don't be too picky, try to find it. Like, like mm -hmm. if you cannot, that's another story, right? And there's a whole story mm -hmm. I could open up about like the shortage of like um, therapists of color and like the shortage that exists in the United States, especially in rural areas and places that aren't New York and Los Angeles. Um, but if you know what you want in your therapist, try to find it. Um, that said, Try to stick it out a few sessions if it's like a weird beginning it might be the growing pains of getting to know one another i do say that you know if you shop around like constantly you're never going to help form a connection that's deep enough to actually share something painful um, or difficult um we talked about that we talked about that we talked about the parallel of kink um play and the therapeutic relationship and opening up to somebody who holds you know some power yes. in the relationship yeah we didn't talk about that a lot but we, we did allude to it um, there, you know, one thing that I, I wonder, um, that like popped in my head and I don't know if you want to go here yeah. is the relationship, you know, I think you can speak to this more potentially, um, okay. is the intersection of, um, being like a psychologist okay. and knowing how people work and, and perhaps being like, a leather dog you were or say that a connection. master like oh. where um do you want to talk about that no no it's just funny because <laughs> i when you say that i just have this flash image in my brain of like every patient of mine on my caseload like they're all flashing um and i'm just like oh like i'm their leather daddy no um or vice versa i mean does your psychology training ever like somehow creep up in conscious or unconscious ways that you later realize um, in your yeah. life? I, I... 
I can't hear you. Why can't I hear you? Can you hear me now? Yes. Now? Okay. Yes. My, my battery was like 20%, which is telling me like time to cook dinner okay. soon. Um, Where were I'm, you? You had asked about like the parallel between like the, the therapist and the patient yes. and then like the, the, the leather dom and like the other person. Yeah. And we don't know what we necessarily call them. And the bridging of those two worlds, you know, I, I think there's a parallel in the dynamic that therapy is an agreed upon relation. It's an agreed upon power dynamic. You agree mm -hmm. to enter in a space with another person for yeah. a set amount of time. You're going to pay the other person, right? to listen to things that you're gonna share that are very painful and intimate um, that you have maybe never told or shared with almost anyone else. Yeah. And you're trusting that they're gonna keep all of that safe. Mm. We would use the word confidential or private, but like that it's gonna keep you in a safe space, right? And that yeah. they are ultimately there to protect you. I think in any good kink relationship that that would be a similar parallel dynamic you'd want. You don't want somebody actually harming you in a psychological way. And if it's physical, it's like, well, what are the boundaries of consent there? And like, what are we talking about? And right. is it actually physically safe? Um, but like, it's a similar problem. Um, trust, I think, mm. that um, takes time to build. And there are boundaries, right? You go to yeah. a therapist and you're like, I am not talking about something. And at the same time, a good therapist, you know, and this may be similar, different from King, knows when to push boundaries and say, like, look, like, you never want to talk about this thing, and yet I'm pretty sure this thing that you really don't want to talk about is really playing a big role in what you're struggling with in your life. Can right. you walk with me down that path? I will promise to do my best to keep you safe mm -hmm. and to, you know, you know, it's, it's happened in sessions where I talk about sexual traumas, right? Mm -hmm. How do you walk with me in a 45 minute meeting into something very painful and feel like I am protecting you? Especially if, you know, if, it, if I look like that person, if I'm the gender of that person, the sexual orientation of that person, like that's trust and that's right. meaningful and I don't take that lightly. And I, I always, I said this in my dissertation acknowledgements, I said like something like, um, dissertation's over there, I'm not gonna get it. Like, I am inspired by my patients who make me realize the resilience of the human spirit every mm. day. You know? And I just heard the kid upstairs just like throw their toys. I heard it, yes. Did you hear that? My yes. parent is probably pissed. Um, anyway, um, does that make sense? Just about yeah. like the, the way I see that, yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, um, thank you for, for sharing that and entertaining that question. Um, yeah, I, I could tell you wanted to ask it, so I wanted to leave the door open to it. Well, I think yeah, I figured, it's a good way to kind of close out mm -hmm. um, that. And yeah, I mean, are there, is there anything else that you want to share? Um, either like thoughts about, you know, any other like random thoughts or, or anything about yourself? You know, you know me, I think we, we've met in the real world. Yes. And so I'm notoriously like a, <laughs> type person and a private person, and especially given the professional role I have and the work I do that's not related to my private practice. Um, I, I am, you know, and, and, you know, like keeping my own self a little bit more nebulous. Um, mm -hmm. um, that's totally your, I, you know, your I, I think suffice to say that like I, there are, you know, I've shared a little bit of the kinks that I have, obviously, like if, if you're listening, you can't see this, like I'm 
wearing a leather shirt, like I identify definitely as a part of this community. Um, and there are ways in which I engage in it differently than others. Um, and unique to my experience, there are other things that I haven't shared about my sexuality in here, uh, about my romantic partnerships, or just like the way I relate to others in that sense. And I purposely like don't want to share those things. I think it's important if somebody were to ever come to me through this avenue and say, I want you as a therapist, um, you know, it's better that they not know those things, at least at the beginning, yeah. because, you know, that's actually, I always say to people, it's data. It's data if you come to me and say like, are you married? Do you have kids? Do you yada yada? I will usually tell people, unless I'm like fearful for my safety, like, mm -hmm. you know, I'll tell them, yeah, no, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I always say, well, I'll, I'll tell you, but I also want to know why that's important to you, right? right? So it's important for me at the beginning to not have those things known, because then I, yeah. what you ask about tells me your values often, yeah. or at least what you value in this relationship possibly. Yeah. Right. If I say yes or no, what does it mean to say yes or no to that question? Mm, um, yeah. Um, you know, this account that I made was pretty much like for this interview and I don't know how much I'm going to maintain it. It's not monitored. Please don't anybody text it for any mental health concerns. Call 988 or 911 for the United States. Those are the mental health crisis hotline. And then obviously 911 is 911. So no, do not text or message me or dm me i will not see it it is not monitored i feel like hipaa is listening so i need to like say Good. that yes um so that's just something i really wanted to say um i don't know any final i'm very bad at talking about myself so is there anything there that you want to ask me you can be direct i can always say no but like um, no but i think um yeah. i think you've done a really good job of like uh setting your boundaries of what you want to share and um yeah, yeah. And, and anyone listening can look me up you can't i probably won't let you follow this like account frankly just that's not inappropriate but again i told you about that site hello alma and if you look for the gay therapists in new york gay psychologists in new york um there aren't many of us you're gonna guess pretty quickly which picture is mine i'm just saying <laughs> um but that, that's what i would say to all of that okay. It was lovely chatting with you again. Yeah. It's been a while, I think. Yeah, it's been a while. I don't have any plans to go to um, New York where you live. Uh, at, coming up anyway. Um, it's mm -hmm. been almost a year, but it's so expensive. Um, I, know. I know. So that's life. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed you, um, you know, being part of this and kind of sharing thank your you. knowledge and well thank you for having me it was it was a long time yeah. coming because i think we tried to do it once and i was just was like yes. i am overwhelmed at work i yeah. cannot and, and you've had a lot of things going on so i totally understand that like, yeah i was know. trying to get a tenure promotion in the academic medical system which is its own nightmare of its own process and i was just like i remember i think i said to you i was like i don't want to jeopardize that if somewhere to sure. find this and then Luckily, like I switched who pays me and it's not connected to the academic, but I'm still in the academic system. I'm like, great, that liberates me. Huzzah. <laughs> I don't know. So let me let me ask you this. Um, yeah. So typically um, after this, I will uh, download the, the, audio. the audio and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of do some minimal editing yeah, um, yeah. out and put that on spotify so you're you're okay with that um, yeah i still think being... so yeah all right um yeah that's that's where it will be housed because i feel like some of the you know i feel like this is a useful conversation and if it yeah. gets people kind of thinking about things and kind of opening up doors i feel like that's kind of the purpose here is that um 
just to kind of introduce people to concepts or ideas or things like yeah. that. So. I hope it was enlightening, at least for anyone who listened to it or came and saw and left, came back, you know, whatever. Um, I, I care a lot about mental health broadly, especially for the queer gay community and like, especially, especially like for anybody in the gay community, like there is hope out there and I hope you can find it and, um, you know, connect with providers who affirm who you are. You deserve that. You deserve no less. Mm -hmm. and. Um, to be seen fully for all the complexities that you bring, including the unique and quirky sexuality that makes you the most special you on the planet to get a little corny, um, you should have that in your treatment. I really appreciate that. So, <laughs> and I'm sure other, um, other listeners, you know, would be very appreciative to have a therapist that really affirms them as well. So. Yeah, I hope so. Well, I, again, thank you so much for agreeing to do this, and I look forward to our next conversation. I, I, I will always look forward to it. If you come here, if I'm passing through your town, like, yeah. I'll let you know. Um, there are reasons to go in that direction, so I'll, I will let you know. Well, let, um, let me know, and yeah. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Yes. Um, my phone is ready to say, how are you still going after right. all this time? Um, so I'm going to turn it off. Okay. But thank you so much and have a great evening. And thanks everyone who listened. You too. Have a good evening and uh, see you around. Bye. Bye. So I hope that you enjoyed the episode with Dr. C. As always, I really appreciate if you can leave a comment or um, if you're listening to this on a platform where you can give a, a rating. If you can rate this as high as possible, that is very much appreciated. Uh, going forward, my goal is to do an episode a month. And so I'm in the preparations of finding uh, the next person who I'll be having a conversation with. So stay tuned for that. And again, you can follow me on all the socials, The Leather Cook. Um, you can find me on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter. Um, so keep your eyes peeled for more content and take care.